Charlie loves cherry, so he fills his froster with wild cherry, cherry cola, and tops it off with cherry limeade. It's the cherry on Charlie's day. Mix the polar pop or froster that works for you. Just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Stephen Jodorant. Joining me today is Jake Watroba. Armand Kafai, and Joseph Lowry of The Athletic. On today's episode, it's all MLS, a couple of talking points to break up the national team talk. Listeners, we are recording this Sunday, June 23rd. So some of the numbers might be a little bit different after MLS's midweek matches. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast platform you're listening to. Leave us a five-star review and follow us at Pod. Fellas, special guest, Joseph Lowry. Joseph, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Steven. It's good to be back, and uh, I'm excited to talk soccer with you guys. Jake and Armand, boy, busy weeks for us covering the national teams. When's the last time we've talked about MLS? Uh, like with us or like like me personally? Well, you cover FC Dallas, so you're yeah, in and so out of MLS, but I'm talking about on the show. Like, um. That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it was the Mickey Turner interview on the Chicago Fire. <laughs> what? It was Jesus that long Christ. ago? I think so, actually. <laughs> Yikes. Wow, there's so much to get to. Now, Joseph, we, we a while back, we had this question of the day, and we're kind of throwing it back out there. How captivating has the first half of the season been for you? I've really enjoyed the first half of the season, guys. Um, I think we've seen... A good bit. I mean, from my perspective, I always kind of like to nerd out about the tactical stuff. Um, I, I think it's seen a good bit of a variation from different teams. I mean, we've gotten some great uh, individual tactics in the Western Conference with uh, the Sounders uh, and their left-sided overload that we saw at the beginning of the season. And then you've got LEFC doing their just unbelievable amalgamation of different tactical things. And then the Union and the Eastern Conference have been a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I've really enjoyed, even from a neutral perspective, um, as someone who writes about a lot of the teams in this league, I've enjoyed watching these games. And it's it's been fun to see some of the, the new talent that we've seen come into the league and then also see some some quality coaching, I think. So I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the first half of this year. Jake, <laughs> yeah, I think you and I are on a little different boat there than Joseph. <laughs> this league, maybe I'm not watching enough Philadelphia Union games, but you're not after after LAFC. I, I just feel like there's no reason to really watch any MLS games. It just feels like LAFC is running away with the league. I don't see a team that's going to slow them down, especially come October during the MLS Cup uh, playoffs. 
so yeah, no, I haven't I haven't been captivated by well, by and, the and can I play far. devil's advocate here, Jake? Um, isn't Go that ahead. isn't that a fun thing? Isn't that a good storyline um, for the league in general? Having a team that's so good. And so dominant. I feel like that adds another layer. Obviously, you know, the big talk about MLS is parody, but I think that's an interesting sort of wrinkle that we really haven't seen a whole lot. At least it hasn't been so one-sided as it seems to have been this well, year. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I agree with you actually on that one because I, I don't necessarily think that parody makes the league better per se. I think that you look at the NBA and granted the, the Raptors won the NBA finals this year, but going into the season, I think we all assumed that it was going to be Golden State that was going to win the NBA Finals and that they were going to run away with it. They have five All-Stars, yada, yada, yada. And the NBA does great. I mean, that's that. I mean, after the NFL, the NBA is, 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 is next in, in terms of popularity in this country, in terms of sports leagues. And I, I don't subscribe to the idea that, well, you need, you need to be like the NFL where every team has a chance going into the season to make the playoffs or win the Super Bowl. No, I, I don't buy that. However, I would like to see a team – uh, kind of a another team just below LAFC that you feel like could give them a run, run for their money because I, I just I just don't know how a team's gonna march into Bank of California Stadium and get a result come playoff time. Listeners, how captivating has the first half of MLS been for you? Send them in at Unksam Soccer Pod. Now, Armand, let's get your thoughts. To be honest with you, I'm more excited for the second half of the season. Uh, to be uh, quite honest, obviously, you know, a lot of teams have been missing players due to international call-ups, big tournaments going on, it's kind of been slow, blah, 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 blah. I'm really more excited to see how the second half of the season shapes up and, and we get to see, I think, the best of these teams rather than – and see what these teams are actually are, you know? It's not going to be – you're not going to see what you saw in the, in the first half of the season with some teams struggling. Like, is SKC really like a 10th place team right now? No, I don't think so. There's some teams that are overachieving, some teams that are underachieving, and I want to. Who's overachieving? Who's overachieving? Montreal, Just... all overachieving uh, at second place right now in the Eastern Conference. They're good, but in second place in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, no, not really. The Revolution overachieving are not in last place. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, what the... about what about the most interesting team in the league, Jake? The Colorado Rapids, according to Armand Kafai. Hey, they're four points out of the playoff spot. I yeah. mean, they did they did rebound nicely since they Yeah, started. Steven, yeah. 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 You like he, that. He, you like that. He uh his his take at the beginning of the season isn't so hot and spicy now that they are four points back of Real Salt Lake for that final playoff spot in the Western Conference there. So I I don't think we can give Armand as much crap oh, as we'll we just, could let's have. Let's just wait ago. another month. But uh, hey, Joseph Lowry, speaking of the Colorado Rapids, you have any thoughts on them? Winless, and I think in their first 11, if I remember correctly, reading the stat right. And now they're four points out of a playoff spot? It's been some really quality midseason additions. And then I think also the the high from firing Anthony Hudson and hiring uh, Connor Casey, I believe. Uh, I think that's been a really big boost for them. So now they've got, you know, a solid center back in Lalas Abubakar who wasn't playing in Columbus. And now he's able to slot into one of those center back spots. Um, and then you also bring in a guy like Jonathan Lewis, who I, I honestly still don't quite know what to make of in terms of his overall skill set. But I mean, he's an upgrade over what they had before. Certainly. I think he's, he's not necessarily starting every game, but 
he's been an impact player on the wing. So I think bringing in some good pieces in addition to to that boost that comes with changing your, your tactics a little bit and your head coach, I think Colorado actually does have a chance to to maybe sneak up. I don't want to say they're going to make the playoffs because I'm really not as high on them as Armand is, but I think they can make some noise in the in the like either the bottom tier of that 17 playoff bracket or at the at the upper part of the bottom of the Western Conference. Now, listeners at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod, again, question of the day: How captivating has the first half of the season been? And I think the problem is it's been buried with a ton of international soccer, the World Cup, the Gold Cup. And it's going to be nice and a little bit refreshing once we could put the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team aside and really hone in on the second half of MLS. And for today's show, we're going to have a little grab bag. We kind of already talked about a few of the topics. But let's talk about the Philadelphia Union, a team that has struggled over the last couple of years, and now they're sitting pretty in the Eastern Conference. Armand, you somewhat hinted at the Philadelphia Union in our text beforehand. What are we seeing with this team? You know what? We're, we're seeing a little bit of an overachieving team. I think they are overachieving a little bit. Look, what Jim Curtin has done, Joseph has talked about this a lot uh, in his articles, uh, with their defensive schemes and how they how they transition and how they force teams to play a certain way. Uh, it's good, and it's good. And the way they, they have been playing, it's been good. It's Hasn't been bad. Remember, this is without Marco Fabian, right? Because he's been injured a lot of time. That's supposed to be their big time signing, and now they bring in Andrew Wooten from uh, from Germany, who they hope they can bring a little bit of a boost um, as well. And they, they they play fun soccer. They really do. But I just I don't see them as a first place team. They remind me a lot. I know we're making a lot of make a couple NBA references of like the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference, right? They were what the uh, the two seed. Not a lot of teams were scared of them as a two seed. I think if you match up against the Union, whoever does, I don't think you're scared of the Union. I really, I really don't. Any team in the East can beat the Union. I don't think they really have that much of a home field. Their their home pitch, grass wise, has been absolutely terrible. I'm not scared of the Union, Joseph. I don't know about you, but I'm not scared of them. If I'm going to match up as a team in the playoffs, I'm not scared. I'm not saying, oh crap, it's number one team. Uh, it feels like LAFC, I'd be like shivering, like, oh, we're going to play the best team in the league. But I'm not that scared of the union. Armand, at the at the heart of it, you're saying a lot of things that probably are correct. It's just, especially given how I think relatively weak the Eastern Conference is and how I actually am extremely high on the union, I think that they they perfectly are worthy of that first place spot in the Eastern Conference, even with a whole half of the season left to go. I mean, Mark McKenzie hasn't even sniffed the starting lineup in a really long time for the Union. Jack Elliott and Austin Trusty are a, a pretty decent duo back there. And then they have uh, Jaime Montero, who's been a great addition as like a number eight slash number 10 in that diamond. He's played at both spots a little bit. And then you bring in a guy like Andrew Wooten, who you mentioned, who scored 17 goals in the two Bundesliga, which is, I guarantee you, something that Bobby Wood couldn't do. Um, you get a guy like that who can score some goals into Goa as one of those two strikers up top. I mean, I'm just really struggling to see between their versatility and now I think they're actually going to have some forward and midfield depth. Maybe the one place where you could argue they don't have depth is is fullback. But if those two guys can stay healthy, if, if Gaddis and Kai Wagner can stay healthy, I think 
we really could be looking at an MLS Cup contender here. But you know, obviously, only time will tell. You could be whoa, you could be MLS correct. Cup contender. MLS Cup. Yeah, yeah. You guys can yeah, write that one down and, and rub it in my face when I'm wrong later on. But <laughs> I'm I'm high on the Union. As Armand's right, I have written about it a, a decent amount, um, and I'm a fan of what they're doing there. So let me ask you this, Joseph. Philadelphia, obviously, somewhat against the the norm over the last several years in spending a lot of money. They they've invested in right players. They have. Marco Fabian, they invested into that. That that cost a pretty penny, but they really counted more on youth development. A- am I wrong to say that? No, I think that's totally fair. They they have focused on development a lot more than some other MLS teams so far. Does that void well for for clubs in the long term? I think it absolutely does. I think what the Union are doing can be looked at as almost a sort of model for for how to build an MLS team on a on a somewhat limited budget. Because you're right, they have spent on a few players. I'm not super high on the Marco Fabian transfer in general. And at this point, it almost looks a little bit unnecessary. Um, but I think spending some money, bringing in some some guys that are proven uh, producers, either in some decent leagues in Europe or from other MLS teams, and coupling that with the youth development up, uh, bringing in players like Austin Trusty and Mark McKenzie, Brenton Aronson, those are three guys who can who can clearly get it done at the MLS level and have potential to do even more. So I think with a limited budget, the union are one of the teams with the best uh, roster construction models in the league right now. The reason why I'm kind of, I'm, I'm maybe looking ahead a little bit, but with, with the union, right? They uh, right now as a playoff start today, they'd be the one seed, right? Their next matchup would either be against Atlanta or Red Bull. Now to me, that whoever's in that four or five matchup, you're looking at that game and you're you're saying, look, this look, I'm not I'm not scared of this team. I, and honestly, you can say about the entire Eastern Conference, I just I don't I, I don't have confidence uh, in the Union sust- uh, sustaining this in the playoffs, uh, especially. I think I I think there's there's something that's going to go wrong in the playoffs for them. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Eastern Conference and teams like Atlanta because they're currently sitting in fourth place in the Eastern Conference standings as we record this. Sunday night. However, they are second if you're going by points per game. What do we make of their, I guess, slow start to the season? Honestly, we we shouldn't have been surprised. And maybe maybe you guys weren't surprised. I don't know that I was overly surprised. But when you change, not only you change a coach and you change a, a set of tactics and overall strategy, but the whole culture inside of that team had to change inside of that locker room. And there have been several good stories written um, about how that culture shift affected the team and how it took the players a good long time to adjust. So now I think we're finally starting to see Atlanta United sort of look like how they should look. I mean, maybe it's not how how I would set them up or how you guys would set them up in terms of tactical uh, tacticalness <laughs> tactics. Um, but I think I think it's it's working for them. And I I am scared of Atlanta United. If I'm an opposing team, I'm afraid of the attacking talent that they have, and also their their seemingly pretty solid defensive structure as well. So not necessarily, especially in hindsight, surprised by the slow start. But uh, Atlanta right now, I think, are definitely trending upward. Right. And uh, listeners, we are recording, as Jake mentioned, June 23rd, Sunday night, and there's MLS midweek. So the statistics might be a little bit different come after MLS midweek. Now, Joseph Martinez is now sitting on 10 goals. Do you think, Armand, that Atlanta United, a team that you've criticized, I don't know if you're the biggest DeBoer fan, 
But did it take some time for Joseph Martinez to find his position and, and just get comfortable in the new system? And and I don't think you can go without mention that Joseph Martinez lost an, an important player in Miguel Almiron in the midfield that helped him set up a lot of his goals. Guys, I, I don't think us as media or even fans realize how good of a player Miguel Amaron was in MLS. I've had players tell me uh, when I talk about Atlanta United, look at me and say they won't be the same as they were last year. And I ask them why. And they tell me, you haven't seen Miguel Amaron play on field level or play on the field with him. He is, they talk about how ridiculously fast he is, how ridiculously shifty he is with his feet, how his vision's everywhere, his work ethic, all these things. It, they talk about, and we're starting to see it with Paraguay in Copa America, and we saw a little bit of Newcastle before he got injured. He is a very special player, and they're struggling to uh, replace that with Pity Martinez, who's kind of not really adapting well uh, to MLS. I think Joseph lost Miguel and had to kind of adapt. But let's not forget, a lot of Joseph's goals, I, I think it was around eight or nine of them last year, were penalties. And a lot of those were also created by uh, and a lot of those goals he scored were being at the right place at the right time. If he can't get that service, he's not going to score. Joseph is not going to be that guy who's going to beat like four players and bang a shot in. He's going to be the guy who's going to get the job done and be the most efficient finisher uh, you have. It has been an adjustment period for Atlanta, but I still think they're being held back. They're only sitting on at this moment 19 goals, guys. You know, you know who has less goals on the Eastern Conference? The bottom three teams. Columbus, New England, and Jake's favorite FC Cincinnati. In the Western Conference, there's only one team that has equal amount of goals, and that's, Van- and that's Vancouver. Everyone else is more. I feel like their high-power attack is being held back, and maybe that'll help with Barco you know, returning from U20. I know he played a little bit, but I feel like they're being held back, man. So, Armand, it sounds like you're suggesting that Frank DeBoer is to, to blame for the lack of goal scoring then. I, I really want to say so because the, and Joseph, you might want to hold the revolve a bit more and let it all out in a few seconds. But like, I, I just I feel like they're being held back. I know Jake agrees to a degree. I think they're playing possession just for possession. Now with Tata Martino, they're playing vertical, attacking, going up the pitch. They weren't playing possession for possession a lot of times. They did, and Dallas does this a lot too. They just get the ball. And, you know, they can't find anything. They'll play it back. They'll do this. They're not playing vertical, and. I think that's like a huge issue for Atlanta because I saw them play. Uh, I, I watched the Minnesota game. I played them, like, I want to say, like a month ago or something like that. And they were like almost, it was ridiculous. They were like almost toothless. They were just like, okay, we're going to go do this. Okay, nothing there. Okay, we'll go back and do this. And I feel like you're playing possession just for possession instead of, you know, trying to score and be vertical. I don't disagree with you. I haven't seen enough Atlanta United over the last you know month, like you were saying, to be able to comment on that super accurately. But especially at the beginning of the season, it was so clear that the players weren't comfortable moving into different spaces and executing all the structured possession movements that DeBoer wanted. And that was really hurting them. So I think now, as they start to get more comfortable, I mean, they've put up, they've put up some goals. Again, we're recording this Sunday night, but they've scored... They've scored three goals, two goals, three goals, and three goals in their last four games. So every game has been multi goals. Sometimes I mean, they three. also they also they also beat the Colorado Rapids at home one zero under Anthony Hudson. Okay, fair enough. That yeah, that they, game was atrocious. The thing, the thing is, their defense is fantastic. Only eleven goals allowed. Miles Robinson is playing out, out of his mind. Him and LGP have been a great duo, but like that's the least amount of goals out in MLS. Maybe that can help you out in the playoffs. If you need, well, you I was just going to ask, win. does this not help? 
tournament football, a team that is defensively well-organized come MLS Cup when that's when I think Atlanta United will maybe flip a switch or that's when it really matters for Atlanta United winning it the year before under Tata Martino, knowing what it takes to get there? I I think it definitely does help them, not only in this in this you know future MLS Cup playoffs for this season, but I think in the future as well. We've been trained to look at Atlanta United as a contender every year, and the talent they have obviously necessitates that view. But DeBoer has made a couple of comments like he has never gotten at least this is his words obviously like he hasn't gotten the chance in his mind to really stamp his tactical setup on a team. And so I'm just imagining what Atlanta United could look like next year and the year after if DeBoer stays on. Again, you can criticize him for the transition period this year, but if Atlanta United can be a defensive juggernaut and then also use their attacking talent to to break some lines in possession and less and look less toothless like Armand like Armand talked about, they could be legitimately scary, you know, year in and year out if they can keep their talent level high. So it's been a rough period at the beginning of this year, but I think they're prepped for MLS Cup playoffs this season and beyond, honestly. Listeners, at Sam Soccer Pod, at Joe and Cleats, at Armand Kafai, at Jake Wartroba, at Steve Jarner, send in your thoughts as we discuss some MLS season, the first half here. Now let's move it on, Armand. Let's talk about the club that you cover and it's this FC Dallas, a youth movement that has seen players come and go due to call up, just a lot of player movement in general. How? What is the feeling surrounding this squad? This squad last night. Now I'm going to recording Sunday. Last night played an all U20 midfield: Paxton Pomacol, Brandon Cervinia, Edwin Surreal. Started an 18 year old forward in Jesus Ferreira. Subbed on a 16 year old, led on a match in Ricardo Pepe. Subbed on a 17 year old. In Brian Reynolds, led on into the match. Luchi Gonzalez kind of downplayed and said, you know what? Like, maybe I won't be the guy that plays all youth or whatever. That's a lie, man. He has been playing almost all the youth. And it's starting to show a little bit. Like, hey, look, you're believing in these guys. And they're starting to get confidence. They're going to play well. And one thing I noticed, one thing I noticed, after a match on uh, Saturday, the win against Toronto, the locker room was... Fun, energetic. They were laughing, joking around. The chemistry among these guys is so strong. You spend a month in Poland and your boys come back. Like, all the chemistry between the guys are going to be strong. Look, a lot of people are criticizing Luchi Gonzalez uh, for uh, uh, some results that just weren't good. But, you know, he's starting to establish an identity and a philosophy of this team. And he hasn't had an opportunity to bring in his own players. I would say almost zero of the players they brought in were Luchi Gonzalez players. They were brought in before Lucci. Zdenek Adrosnik, the Cobra, not Lucci Gonzalez signing, and it shows he barely plays for a team. Brian Acosta, yeah, but not really. Dallas tried to sign him last year. Lucci Gonzalez hasn't tried to bring in his guys, and he's still getting results. They're still seeing comfortably in the playoffs in the Western Conference. But what's the, the ceiling with this team? Are, we, are, we, are they a year too soon, or is this a team that is piped? for success down the road and this season might not be well, that that year? I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you guys. I think this team will always be one year too early because if you're a developing team, you're not going to get the guy in your prime, in his prime or whatever. They're always going to be developing, right? Because you're a developing club. You're going to flip them uh, to Europe. That's the goal, and that's their goal, and that's everyone's goal within the team. So they're always going to be one year too early because they'll never get a player in their prime. Maybe they'll hit a run and they'll get lucky or get some wins and have an amazing run of form. 
But if you're a developing club, you're six, you're never gonna like, and you're not, and they're not Ajax guys. Like, they're not spending the most. They're not like that's not them. They're 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 gonna. It's always gonna be one year uh, too early, in my opinion. I, I don't see them ever having like a full strength because as soon as the guy gets hot, you flip him. You're not gonna have him there. Am I wrong, Joseph? I don't think you're wrong, and it's it's an. It's an interesting place to be in terms of the general MLS landscape to be a team like FC Dallas, who with the hiring of Luchi Gonzalez, and then obviously, like you're talking about, they have all these homegrown guys that are actually getting minutes. You know, it's it's a great thing for fans of the United States men's national team. But I don't know how I'd feel if I was a if, if I was an FC Dallas fan. I think you can appreciate the entertainment value that comes with seeing these kids play and you know getting to watch some of the future stars for you know, maybe some of these European teams and also for the national team. But I think Armand's right. I think they're they're really going to be one year too early. This year, I think they're certainly one year too early. Obviously, we've talked about how LAFC, LAFC have that, you know, stronghold on the Western Conference at the top of the spot, at the top of the, the conference right now. But Dallas, I think this year is, is still a little bit too inconsistent. They're still trying to uh, understand and execute Luchi Gonzalez's philosophy. Obviously, they have a much stronger understanding of that now than they did at the beginning of the season. But they're definitely one year too early this year. And I, I really don't see that changing anytime soon unless they start to balance some some more. If they can if they can flip some of the young prospects for significant transfer fees, include some sell-on clauses, and then use that money to expand their academy and go after some some higher profile, more experienced talent. Then at that point, maybe that starts to change. But for now, FC Dallas are going to be stuck in that middle sort of purgatory in the Western Conference. Guys, I want to talk about one more team that has has performed inconsistently so far this MLS season. Let's talk Portland Timbers. They had a string of matches on the road to start the season with the renovations being done to uh, Providence Park. Armand, we'll start with you. How helpful will home field be for this club for the second half of the season? Look at these two United and what happened last year. They became super hot. Add Wayne Rooney. Add their home stadium. Boom. The same recipe is being held right here. Adding Brian Fernandez, who at the time at this time recording eight goals in six matches, including open cup play. Amazing DP forward. The offense is flowing. You're in front of a great crowd. You should be Houston 4-0. It is so important. So important. I think this is kind of a recipe for some of these teams, very expanding stadiums. Like, yeah, take your L's in the beginning of the season. We know MLS beginning of the season doesn't really matter. You know, we'll take your L's then. Now play at home for, like, what, like 15 or next 18 games or something like that? It's ridiculous. Like, that's such an advantage, I feel like. Sure, the matches get congested or whatever. But I feel like it's such an advantage to these guys, to these teams because you just come in the playoffs hot. And what do you know about MLS? You come in the playoffs hot, you're usually golden. Now with the one game playoff, you're even more because like, look, it's only one game. It's not too. It's not. It's not too like an approach. So I'm interested. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be a top three or four team in the West. To be honest, so I'll go top three for being a little ambitious. I, I think Fernandez's addition has been massive. I agree. I think I can't really overstate how important Brian Fernandez's addition to this team has been. I mean, I'm already talked about it. His production has been unbelievable. And he gives Giovanni Savarese, you know, more options in terms of his attacking setup. 
I mean, he can do so many different things now in terms of Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco's positioning. If if Valeri plays underneath, Blanco can take one of the wings, and then Ibobasi can take maybe another position either out wide or next to Fernandez. I mean, there's just so many different options that he has. And if, if Savarese can use those to an advantage and not overthink things, if he can get his best talent on the field while still keeping some defensive solidity, Portland, between having their home games and this having a rejuvenated attack, are going to be so incredibly hard to stop. Honestly, that's one of the teams, maybe the only team, who I could see kind of going toe-to-toe with LAFC in terms of attacking talent. Mm. Maybe their defensive squad isn't quite capable, but I could see that really being a game at some point in the in the MLS Cup playoffs in that Western Conference. How important is home field advantage coming up here, especially leading up into the playoffs? Obviously, there's a playoff format change, right? So if you're a Portland Knowing that you have an advantage at home, knowing that your season has turned around, you would have to try to get up to a top three seed, right? And and, and hope a couple, a couple of upsets happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're right now, they're within double-digit points of the third spot in the Western Conference. So Armand's prediction of them getting into that top three is not like it's not impossible. It's not extremely far-fetched between the amount of home games they have and just the talent and the depth that they have on their roster right now, I think Portland really have a good shot to climb up the Western Conference table and get that home field advantage coming into the playoffs. I don't see how Portland doesn't make the playoffs, let alone be one of the the three or four best teams in the Western Conference when the season is all said and done. But that is it for today's show. Question of the day, listeners. At Unc Sam Soccer Pod, how captivating has the first half of the MLS season been for you? Make sure you let us know. Again, at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. You can follow our guest, Joseph Lowry of The Athletic, at Joe and Cleats. You can follow our Moncafi, at our Moncafi, and you can follow Stephen Jodoran, at Stephen Jodoran. You can follow myself, at Jake Watroba. We'll talk to you guys next time. Deuces. From a bird-watching nurse to a line-dancing firefighter, nobody's just one thing. That's why Polar Pop and Froster aren't either. Choose from all kinds of flavors and make your mix. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural side from the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Try peach and raspberry five-hour tea today. Look for us at your local HEB grocery store.